Take your Bibles and look over at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's read the first 11 verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, what a passage. What... What great truths your word reveal to us. They blow our minds. They encourage our hearts. They bring joy to our souls. Lord, your word is what educates our minds and directs our thoughts to you. And then we worship in song. The love of God is far greater than anything that we could even fully comprehend. May your love, may you reveal your love to us. Help us to know the height and breadth and depth and length of the love of God towards us in Christ Jesus. May we understand your love. And may we respond as blood-bought children in faith. Trusting in you, boasting in God alone. God, use us now. Help us to understand your word and apply it. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Such rich worship time, isn't it? We are so blessed. I'm very thankful for those that uh, helped play the piano for the last six, 
seven, eight weeks that helped uh, Mr. Stephen get through his injury that God's providence brought. Um, but I'm just going to tell you, there's a special joy in my heart as I see that man play that piano. <laughs> uh, there's just a, uh, just a great, great, great joy. It's been about a year since my dad passed away, and by the providence of the Lord, that's his piano. And um, it's just a sweet, sweet thing knowing Stephen makes glorious music to the Lord and leads us from that piano and causes us to worship our Savior from what used to be my father's, my earthly father's piano. God is good, isn't he? We're in a great passage, a passage that I think if I could, I would probably slow down and spend years on. It would be passage, a passage that I think we all should probably memorize, put to heart, think on, meditate on, and apply all the time. It is a beautiful description of the glory of God and what he's done for us in Christ. Remember the main purpose of the book of Romans is to reveal the righteousness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is the righteous character, creator rather, the righteous creator God. He has moved in time to reconcile a people for himself. He has accomplished this as a righteous way of salvation. He is both just that is, he gives the just judgment for sin and the justifier. That is, he's the one who provides justification, a declared right standing for those who believe in him. He is both just and the justifier. He is righteous. He is just. That's what we're seeing in this book as it's unfolded. First, Paul showed us that the righteousness of God was upon all of the world, all of humanity, God is a righteous God and therefore his wrath is upon all of the unrighteous. As we saw in 118 through 320, the sinfulness of God's creation requires a just response of the creator. We don't run from explaining the sinfulness of man because that is who we are born as. We are sinners by nature born in Adam and deserving judgment. But then second, Paul turned and began to unfold the righteousness of God as revealed in the justification of repentant believers. Everybody who turns to Christ is declared right with God. That's in 321 through 521. God accomplished this way of righteousness for believers through the sacrifice of his son. God demonstrated at the cross that he was what? Both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. He both righteously judges sin and makes a way for those to be declared right if we trust in him, if we turn to him, if we believe in him. It's not our works. It's not what we do. It's not how good we think we are or how often we go to church or whether we've been baptized or whether we're Jewish or whether we're Gentile or whatever it is. It is 
all because of what Christ has done. We are declared right with him through faith in him alone. Faith alone reveals that God's standard of righteousness is perfect, not based on the shortcomings of man's righteous works on their own or self-righteousness, right? We know that God is really righteous because it's based on faith alone, not on what we do. Because if it was based on what we do that got us a right standing with God, then God's standard for righteousness would be what? Imperfect. Wouldn't be right. So again, we're seeing that God is righteous in all that he does. Even in the way that he saves people. He saves people based on his work. Faith in him alone. The righteous way of God is revealed in the justification of sinners by unmerited favor. Through faith in Jesus alone. The results of the justifying faith is a reconciliation with our enemy. That is, enemies become friends. How is this? Well, it's not that just us enemies, but more importantly, enemies with God. We're born enemies of God, children of wrath, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. But wrath was appeased and relationship is restored between God and man through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our verses in this passage are a development of the implications of being justified by faith in Christ. Chapter 5 is both a further explanation of the justifying work of God and an introduction into this new reconciled relationship for those who believe in Jesus. So um, if we're writing a systematic theology book, it doesn't really cut after chapter 4 and move into chapter 5. It's kind of overlapping those Truths kind of overlap. Justification and sanctification are kind of overlapping in chapter 5. There, there isn't a perfect systematic theology chapter change by the Apostle Paul. The two truths, justification and sanctification, kind of bleed over onto each other. Now again, justification is what? To be declared right with God. Sanctification is what? To be set apart by God positionally and then for him to work it out in us who we are. That's sanctification. And so those two truths about the gospel and who Christ is and what he's done kind of bleed over onto each other. They have implications for each other. Last week we examined four amazing blessings of being Justified by faith in verses 1 to 5. Notice, remember, we looked at some of these. And I would argue that the first one is kind of the overarching theme for all of 1 to 11. The more I look at it, the more I study, and the more I think on this, 1 through 11 is really all about those being peace with God. Reconciliation is one of the main themes of 1 to 11. But last week we saw that we have peace with God as seen in verse 1. And second, we see that we haven't obtained access to this grace. And again, this is described. You notice there's a little pronoun there, a relative pronoun. This grace. What is this grace? It's the, it's the grace of a new relationship, a reconciled relationship with God because of our justification. That we've been declared right with God. Now we have this new relationship with God and we're in God's unmerited favor, this relationship of grace that we stand in. 
God's grace, His unmerited favor is a part of our new relationship with Him. He's interacting with us and giving us and flooding us with unmerited favor all the time. How do we know this? Well, one fact is, is first it says it, and second, we still sin, don't we? And in light of us still sinning, we still are what? In need of a Savior. But we've been declared right. So we're in this grace relationship even when we sin. That's good news, isn't it? Then we have access to God. We don't, we don't have access to God because we've somehow made ourselves cleaned up, good enough to go to Him. We have access to God because God did it. And we're right with God. And so we're in this new relationship of grace. And we stand in this grace, don't we? In fact, we saw we boast or make much of hope of the glory of God. We make much of this hope of the glory of God, our confident expectation of the glory of God, that we will be with God in glory and God will show off His glory to the world. We're, we have this confident expectation that it's about Him and about His glory to come and it's really all this uh, eternal thinking. A future thinking, a thinking eschatologically, of thinking in the future. We don't live for here and now, per se. We live for the glory to come, to be with God. And that is our hope, isn't it, as believers? We have confident expectation of that hope to come. And then the fourth blessing was that, really you could name this, it's a development of the third point. It's, you could actually name it 3B, 3B, 3A and 3B. 3B is this, we boast or make much of or exult in the journey to what we hope for. In other words, the process, even the pain, the suffering, the difficulties, the trials, we rejoice in, we make much of even the trials because what do those things do? they produce perseverance, endurance. And this endurance or perseverance produces proven character. And this proven character produces more hope, more confident expectation that this is not our home. Glory's coming and God's glory is coming. And that's what we're focused on. And hope, this hope, does not disappoint. It does not produce shame. <laughs> Our confident expectation is in the glory to come. We can't wait, can we? We who believe in Christ can't wait to be in glory, can we? And the harder this life gets, we hang on. And we hang on to that hope, into that God that we love so dearly, because we know that glory's coming. And no matter what happens to us, we keep hugging it on. We hold on. Why? Because we have confident expectation in the glory to come. And this isn't our home, is it? Just like Abraham, we're aliens and strangers. We live in a, in a world that's lost and... As a whole, hates God, but we are loved and we love Him. And we persevere. 
and our perseverance shows our tested character shown to be true. And our shown to be true character produces more confident expectation. The longer I go, the harder the life gets. Would everybody agree? The harder life gets, the more I have hope in him. I can't wait for glory. How about you? If our lives are all about here and now, this isn't going to fit. But our lives are about Christ and being in glory with him. And hope, this hope, this confident expectation does not produce shame. The world may shame us for it. They may think we're nuts. But glory to come is going to be sweet. It's going to be sweet. Believers even make much of tribulations we experience now because ultimately it leads to heightened confident expectation in the glory we long for. And Paul expresses this believer's hope in the midst of suffering a little later on in the book. He's going to develop that, right? Remember? In Romans chapter 8, we see what? For I considering that, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. <laughs> is it, that is Paul saying what he had already expressed in 5. His confidence is what? In the glory to come. That will be developed in Romans chapter 8. So why is it that we who believe in Christ boast in the difficult journey to who we hope for in glory? Why is it that we actually, we endure it? Why do we have confidence that, hey, another trial. Yes, this is difficult. This is hard. But glory's coming, and I'm going to hold on because of God. Why do we hold on? Why do we hold on? Why do we persevere? Paul tells us. He gives us the answer. Right in the midst of chapter 5, verse 5. Look at it. He gives us the answer. Why? It's the basis of our boast. The foundation of our boast, our confidence in the journey to what we hope for is the love of God. It's the love of God. It's a present reality of God's unconditional, sacrificial, unilateral, abounding, loyal love. The love of God is consistent with what is holy and just. The believer is able to boast even in our trials that produce more hope because God's love has been poured out in us. Why do we make much of even the difficult journey to what we hope for in glory? You know, it's insane to think that believers even boast in their trials that lead to having more hope. That's, that's crazy to the world. The world would say, complain. The world would say, give up. And we say, no. We love Christ. And he loves us. 
And we're going to glory. That's what we say. We say it with tears running down our face, yes. And yes, it hurts. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. But I'm saying we have hope. And we have hope because God has poured out his love in our hearts. It's a present blessing, beloved. It's a reality for us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you're a born-again believer and you've been declared right with God, God himself dwells within you. The Spirit of God, the down payment to glory, is in us. That's different. How can somebody have hope and boast and trials and tribulations that will produce perseverance, which means enduring under hardship and proving character? How can we boast in all of this? Knowing that hope is what we're all about, the glory to come, that hope is not really seen yet. Do we, do we see what we hope for? No, we don't see it. But why do we hang on? Because the love of God has been poured out already in our hearts. And the Spirit of God is in us. And the Spirit of God works within us to produce this faith, this joy, this love, this sacrifice, this commitment, this endurance, this perseverance, this patience, this... Enduring trials with hope. Why? Because God's working in us. The Spirit of God Himself. You know, we're sometimes accused of being those anti-Holy Spirit people because we're reformed and we're, you know, we're in a church that preaches verse by verse, and we are we consider ourselves um, um, the word just not continuationist, but cessationist. We would say the sign gifts have gone away. We're sometimes labeled these people that are anti-Holy Spirit. Hogwash. It's the opposite. We love the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works within us. And the Holy Spirit causes me to hold on in the midst of trials. And the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily heal me. But it gives me joy and confidence even in the midst of the trial. Because he's alive and he's working in me. And he's my God and my Savior and my Comforter. Justification by grace through faith is accompanied with this new relationship with God. We have a new relationship with God. If you're born again, you know him. And the Spirit of God dwells within us. This new relationship with God includes an abounding love that's being poured out continuously. Has been poured out by the initiation of the Spirit's indwelling presence in us at the conversion. But it's also constantly coming in waves of glory as the Spirit of God reminds us of 
the glory of Christ and what Christ has done for us. And the Spirit comforts us, doesn't he? He comforts us. He comforts us in how? In what way? He points us to the finished work of Christ Jesus, our Lord. God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit dwells within us. As mentioned, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the glory to come, as Ephesians 1 talks about. The Spirit works within us to give us hope and the glory to come. As Paul explains in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And God is our Abba, Father. Why can I say Abba, Father? Why do I say Abba, Father? Because the Spirit of God testifies with my spirit. Abba, Father. God is my Father. I've been reconciled to Him. I have peace with God and God is my Father. That's the Spirit's testimony within my heart. He causes that. Oh, you're too crazy now, Pastor Mike. No, it's just the reality. It's the truth. He says it. I know my Redeemer lives and God is my Abba, Father. And my sins are forgiven and I'm right with God. And that is the Spirit of God working within my soul. And I hold on to God and we endure trials and we grow in our confident expectation of glory. Why? Because the Spirit produces the hope within us. We make much of the glory to come with God over the things of this world because the Spirit of God is working within us. I want to tell you about a lady. I don't know if I've ever told you about this lady. She was early in my ministry. She made a huge impact on me. Probably within the first year of pastoring up in North Carolina, maybe two. I met this lady. She came to our church a little bit before she was diagnosed with cancer. It was a brutal two years for her. She took all the treatments, did everything the doctor said to do, but the cancer killed her over two years. It was brutal. But I had the great privilege of ministering to this lady during this time. Really turned out that she ministered to me. She ministered to this inexperienced, foolish pastor. I really didn't understand pain, didn't understand anything other than I love Jesus and the Bible was true. But God used her and she taught me how to suffer for God's glory. She showed me what a right relationship with God looks like. She made much of God. She boasted in God even in her suffering. I remember sitting by her bedside as she struggled to breathe and she sang hymns about the love of God. Her prayers were like direct 
communication with God. It was as if I was in glory already. We begged God for help in the midst of her pain. It was the most, arguably, one of the most edifying moments in my ministry. Eventually, she died. And it was the greatest time of worship I've ever had when somebody died. I, by the grace of God, I got to do her funeral. I knew she was with Christ. And it was good. Why was this lady able to boast? Even in her tribulations that demonstrated perseverance, improving character, and growing hope. Why? It was because the love of God had been poured out deep into her heart. And the Spirit of God was working in that lady. That's someone that's been trans transformed because they've been declared right with God. Beloved, we who know and enjoy God know and enjoy Him because God abides in us. Remember Jesus' high priestly prayer the night before His death. He ended the prayer this way. Y'all remember that prayer, John 17? He said this, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the answer to the prayer. The love of God is in us, and we are in him. And we rejoice in Christ in the midst of our sufferings. God's sacrificial, loyal love has been poured out into our hearts, hasn't it? This is a present reality for every believer but why did God pour out his love into our hearts with the Holy Spirit? Why does he dwell within us? Why did he do this? And the answer is because of the past blessing of God's love shown. Look, verse 6. Verse 6. In the death of Christ. For because while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for... The good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, those are some verses to keep in memory, right? <laughs> These are ones to think on and meditate on. Why does the Spirit of God dwell within the hearts of his children? Why? The answer, because of what Christ did. For us, the love of God displayed at the cross and in the work of Christ. 
God's love has been displayed in the work of Jesus on the cross. While we were helpless is what it says. Another word for incapable, unable to deliver ourselves. At the right time, Christ died on behalf of the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Give you a hint. That's us. It's all of us. This love is what? An out of this world kind of love, isn't it? Is there any love that compares to it? None. None. Paul steps down, though, into our world and uses some common thoughts that the world might have to illustrate his point. That God's love is far superior. It's a crazy kind of love. And he compares it in verse 7. And, and, and some people have argued about what this means, but I think the basic synopsis of it is, is that, look, humanity on its level, on its level, is fully aware who they think are the good people or the righteous people. And humanity as a whole might lay down their life for somebody that's a good person or a righteous person. But even that sacrifice is what? It's rare. It's rare. Because ultimately, what are, who are we all about? <laughs> We're ultimately all about who? Ourselves. We're more about us. We're not about laying down our lives for others. But the world knows that as a whole, some people lay down their life for the good of this world. Maybe even a good cause. But Paul says God's standards are so much different. God's standards are crazy love, amazing love, stunning love, mind-blowing love. If we were to write about the love of God and the ocean was filled with ink and we started to write, as the hymn writer writes, the ocean would go dry before we finish talking about the love of God and writing about it. This is crazy love. Stunning love. Paul returns then to God's standard of good and righteous. That is it. He doesn't say that in that while we were good, we're righteous, somewhat okay it says but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us this is the love of God by the way there's just no way to get away from understanding the love of God without a full understanding of our sin We need to know our sin. If we avoid talking about sin, we will not know the love of God. It's for in our understanding of our sinfulness, then we really know the love of God. And the same goes for the wrath of God. For it's not until we understand the wrath of God that we can understand the love of God, correct? But God demonstrates 
his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God provided evidence of his own loyal, mind-numbing, sacrificial love. That's what the word demonstrates is about. You know, we talked about him revealing himself, showing himself in the book of Romans. Here's another word used. Demonstrating his own loyal love towards us. How did he do it and how does he do it? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is truly sacrificial. Christ, the anointed one, died on behalf of sinners. Not for good ones. Not for righteous ones. But for the unrighteous. Sinners like you and me. It's so crucial for us to recognize something here. God's love is understood when we realize just what we deserve. And then what God did instead of condemning us. All of that has to be in your mind. You must understand that. By the way, that's the humble heart. I just love the Apostle Paul here. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. Does that include himself? In that while we, who's that include? Paul. Were yet who? Sinners. He sees himself as what? A sinner. Christ died for us, which would include who? Paul. Your readers. And us who believe in Jesus. He understands who God is. He understands who he is. He understands what he deserves. He understands what we deserve. Then we understand the love of God. I don't know about you, but when I'm confronted with a sin or something I do wrong, I usually do what? My first natural fleshly response is to do what? Cover. Make an excuse. Blame it on somebody else. Say it didn't really happen. You're just judging me. But the one that knows God says, I did it. I need a savior. And God provided a way, didn't he? For us. Are you loved? Oh, yeah. We are loved people. Next, in light of God's great love in providing an atonement for sin, our sin in Christ, we believers have great expectation of the future glory, don't we? He kind of wraps back around, turns around and says, look, that's why we look to glory. That's why we boast in God. That's why our eyes are on him. Because he loves us. He poured it out in us through the Holy Spirit. And he's what? Paid for our sins through Christ. And those truths do what? Give us hope and glory. Our assurance of glory to come is based on our understanding of God's love for us, not 
and our love for him. So crucial for you to understand this, beloved. You've got to know. You want assurance. How many of you want assurance that you're right with God? Well, it's based on you knowing that he's a loving God, not based on knowing that you're a faithful Christian. We have confidence in the future glory because we know God loved us. Done deal. Settled. Objective fact. It's truth. Christ did it. He loves me. God loves me. Glory's coming because he did it. He loved me. Even though we still sin, don't we? I bet some of us in the room sinned big time this week, right? We're not perfect, are we? We make lots of errors and sinful thoughts. Aren't you glad we, we don't come to church and have a list of all the things we thought bad this week? We'd all walk around with our heads down and covered up, right? One of the reasons why you don't want to know all the things that go in my heart. And in my head, just being honest. Pastor Mike, you're such a sinner. Yes, I am. But my hope is not in me. My hope is in Christ and what he's done. And that's finished. It's signed. It's declared. God did it. Christ accomplished it. So Paul lays out clearly what is guaranteed for us in light of Christ and God's great love for us in these next verses. Notice, much more, therefore, having been justified, declared right by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God. Verse 9, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The therefore ties back, right? The, whole, the love of God that God has done in Christ. Much more having been declared right with God by God's wrath being appeased at the cross. When Jesus died, his death on our behalf, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Question. What's the main verb first? What's the main verb of verse 9? Verb. Oh, I'm talking about a grammar point. You can do this. Stay with me. It's main verb there. And notice the having now been justified is what? That's called a participle. Oh, boy. We got into some hard words. But that's not the main verb. The main verb would be what? We shall be saved. So then the question comes, what tense is the main verb? Tense. Does anybody know what a tense is? Tense of a verb? You know, there's past tense, there's present tense, and there's future tense, right? So what is this one here? Is it a past tense verb Having been would be a participle. It's not the main verb. What's the main verb? We shall be saved. 
shall be saved. It's the main verb. Is that a past tense, shall be saved? Present tense, am saved? Shall be saved. It's talking about when. Future. Wait a second, Pastor Mike. Hold the phone. This doesn't make sense. I thought when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my sins, and I'm saved. Are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. But this says, I shall be saved. Which one is it? Yes. Because salvation includes what? Past, present, and future. And hope is in our future. Glory, right? How sure is our future salvation and being spared from the wrath of God in the future? How sure is that, beloved? It is very sure. <laughs> Why? Because we have been declared right. And because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts and God's love has been demonstrated at the cross when he paid for our sins. Our future salvation is sure through Christ. What's this mean? We can have confident expectation that the future is what? Bright. It's good. Our justification guarantees our final deliverance. You know, there's a lot of people that say that you can lose your salvation. A lot of people say that, no, you can kind of go your way, do what you want to do. You, you, can, you can lose it and then get it back. Beloved, justification is declared at a moment when we repent and believe. It's done, it's settled, it's have been justified. We don't lose that. The salvation is guaranteed from start to finish because of what Christ did and God's work in our hearts to believe in him. Not our faithfulness, not our good deeds, not our unwavering faith. Because if it was based on us, how many of us would lose it? Every single person in the room probably would lose it before I finish the sermon. I'm just being honest. But God... we will be finally delivered from God's wrath through Jesus' completed work. Can you see why we don't boast in ourselves? <laughs> it's all God. It's Him. Our justification through faith in Him guarantees our final deliverance also. Second, we will be saved, having been reconciled. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more than having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice this verse is a conditional statement. I added the then to my translation just to help you to understand 
where it's implied. Because if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, what's that mean? Y'all understand, we already talked about it, we were all born enemies of God. We were enemies, and if while we were enemies, God, what? Reconciled us, made enemies friends, made it right through the death of His Son. Much more than having been reconciled to God. We're now right with God. We have a right relationship with God. We will be, uh-oh, another future tense, saved by His life. Remember, reconciled means to what? Make enemies into friends. And therefore, we have what? Peace with God. And Abraham was a friend of God. And what about Jimmy? He's a friend of God, too. And so is Bob, Haley, and all those who have trusted in Christ. Turning enemies into friends, opponents into partners, turning enmity into unity. If enemies of God, like we were, are made right in Christ, then we are what? Guaranteed glory. Guaranteed to be delivered by Jesus' life. Why? Jesus is alive. And he's ruling and reigning. And no one can take them from me. Jesus has bought us. And he's ours. And it's his life that guarantees our final life in eternity. He is Lord over our souls because he has purchased it with his blood, and what he says will happen, and we cannot get away from him. That's good news, isn't it? Really, beloved, we should view ourselves this way, and we should view each other this way, shouldn't we? We should see each other this way. That what God has started in each other, what? He will complete. Do we see each other as opponents or friends or friends of God? You can see why a church would really have great unity. It should, right? Why? We should have great unity. Why? Because we see each other as fellow friends of God, reconciled to God. This is great truth, isn't it? The first great truth of being justified is we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus. The second is, is we will be saved by his life, having been reconciled through Jesus. And then third, we have received the reconciliation, presently boasting in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the way this words is a little interesting. Look at verse 11. And not only this, that's a phrase that he's already used once before. And not only this, not only this. But we also exult in God. What is that word? We translated it different before. Do you remember? Boast. Make much of. Same idea. But we also make much of in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. 
Not only are we guaranteed a final salvation and glory, we also make much of, we boast, we have what? Hope in the glory of God. He's just repeating himself in a different way, showing it in a different light. Because we have now received the reconciliation. We're now in right relationship with him. We have it. It's done. I'm right with God. And so therefore I boast in who? God. This is what's happening in my life. You know, that's why I can get up here and preach to you guys. <laughs> preach this. I can preach it because I'm reconciled with God. And I boast in Christ. And Christ is good. And he's who I live for. And it's who you live for. And it's who you want to make much of, right? You want to make much of him. Why? Because you're right with him. You're reconciled to God. You're in new relationship with him. You know, we struggle with, I, I find it interesting that churches do whole series on how to get your church to evangelize. How do we, how do we get the church to evangelize? When if we just read our Bibles and understood these passages, we'd all boast in God all the time. We'd be proclaiming him all the time. Our problem is what? We just need theology. We need to think back our, through the doctrines that we have. I'm right with God. Let me tell you about him. You can be right with him too. Turn to him. He's our confidence, isn't he? He's our boast. He's, what he's, our, he's everything to us, isn't he? We boast in our confident expectation of being with God forever in glory, don't we? Because we've been reconciled. It's done. Being justified is accomplished. And it's accompanied with a new relationship with God. A relationship that understands the love God has for us. And that in the past, in the present, in the future, in the spirit of God that lives within us. And we have assurance in him because he has done what we couldn't do. And we walk with him. And we trust him and we reveal him to the world. And we who have been reconciled are now his what? Ambassadors. We go tell other people about him. Because it's all about him, isn't it? So go to 2 Corinthians 5 and let's close with this. Because it's just perfect ending. Perfect ending. 2 Corinthians 5, perfect. A person that gets it, a person that understands that we've been reconciled with God, understands we have this life that we live now. And this life we live is new and it's great and it's glorious and it's what? We are literally ambassadors for our king. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new create, creature. And the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the, their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We now go out with that word of be reconciled to God because of what Christ has done for us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of God. Be reconciled to God. Be right with God. Believe in Christ. Trust him and you will be right with him. Verse 21. God made him, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is who we are. This is what God has done. We have worship, a reason to worship, don't we? Is it good? Are you thankful? Let's go be ambassadors of Christ with the word of reconciliation to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great truth. Help us, Lord, to remember these truths. Help us to apply these truths to our lives. Help us to hope in you. God, we are so thankful for what you have done for us your love shown to us. We thank you. We worship you. Lord, we want to make much of Christ. We want to see many come to know you. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes off ourselves and to continue to boast in you. We love you, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Abba, Father. Praise you, Holy Spirit, who lives within our hearts. Transform us. Make us look like your children that we are in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.